I'm going to be reading from 1 John chapter 5, starting at verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of Him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep your souls from idols. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for eternal life. We thank you for our eternal life that comes through and by your Son, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Thank you that it's through him we have eternal life. And we praise you for this. But help us, Father, to listen to what your word has to say about eternal life. Please help us to hear. Help me to be clear and understood as I come to this passage of Scripture. Help me to preach it faithfully. And may Christ be at the center of this passage as well. Thank you, Father, for the sacred Scriptures. Thank you again for your love for us. Help us to show that love by loving you and loving our neighbor. Thank you, Father. Pray not this all in Jesus' name. Amen. It's not an easy passage. There's a lot of things that maybe you've never heard before because you've never read 1 John chapter 5, verses 13 to 21. But let us preach through it and hear what God has to say. Do we have eternal life? That's the question I ask us this morning. Do you and I have eternal life? And if we answer yes, then how sure are we? How sure are you and I that we have eternal life? <coughs> what is eternal life? If everybody had to get out a pen and paper and I asked you that question, what is eternal life? What would you write? In one sense, eternal life is what it says. It's everlasting life. Eternal life is we live forever. But do we know that? And do, how, how do we get to that point to have eternal life? Because eternal life is a gift. You can't earn eternal life. You can't, you can't just wake up and have it. It's a gift. Because scripture says, 
My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. This is Jesus talking. And they follow me. I give them eternal life. Eternal life is a gift, because it's in the gift, Jesus Christ. Eternal life is in Jesus Christ alone. We receive eternal life from Him. Whoever has been born, or whoever has the Son, has life. Whoever has the Son, has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God, does not have life. You're sitting here this morning, you either have eternal life, or eternal death. Because the opposite of life is death. There's life and death. So you are there here this morning and you have eternal life. You've received eternal life in Jesus Christ. How do we receive this gift? How do we receive Jesus Christ? Well, we receive it by faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God and not a result of work so that no one may boast. In John 6, 68, it said about Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. We have eternal life if we are in Christ Jesus. It's not a secret to the world. It's not a mystery. God has made this known in His Word, offering eternal life to those who believe on Jesus Christ. When John wrote the Gospel, his Gospel, he said this in John 20, verse 31, But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. The Gospel is evangelistic. It's for us to know and to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, so that we may believe and have life in His name. And when John writes his letter, the purpose, well we read it there, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Why is that so important? Because of false teaching. False teaching comes in and ruins the church. It confuses people and it takes away that no and what they're supposed to know. Every Christian, every true Christian should stand and say salvation or eternal life is in Jesus Christ alone. You're not saved in any other way. Not through any other God or any other person or any other materialistic thing. There is a name that's above every other name. And that is Jesus Christ. And this is what we look at when we come to John's letter. His purpose is for us to know we have eternal life. God wants His children to know that they belong to Him. So when false teaching comes into the church, we know who we belong to, and it's not them. They are speaking rubbish. And it's amazing, if you look at the words we know, 
twice in verse 15, once in verse 18, once in verse 19, once in verse 20, that's five times. Then in verse 13 you have, you may know, and in verse 20 you have, we may know. So that seven times, no comes up. God is, God, yes, and John is getting our attention. He wants us to know for sure that you have eternal life. What are we to know? Well, we're going to look at two things. In verses 13 to 21 of 1 John chapter 5, for us to know, to know for sure we have eternal life. It's a privilege to have eternal life. It's an honor to have eternal life. If you know where we've come from, being dead in our sins, to now being alive in Christ, to have eternal death, and now to have eternal life. And John is, wants to make sure his readers in Ephesus know that they have eternal life. And the first thing that we can know, to know for sure we have eternal life, is that God hears our prayers. God hears our prayers. And we read that in verses 13 to 17 of John chapter 5. God hears our prayers. John is reminding his readers and us that if, been, if you've been born of God, God hears your prayers. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. What great confidence. To know that when we draw near to the throne of grace with confidence, we can, with confidence, know that God hears our prayers. If you have eternal life. Confidence in prayer arises out of knowing that we have eternal life. But we must also know, for God to hear our prayers... And for him to answer our prayers, we have to ask according to his will. We can't just ask any other way. We pray according to God's will. What so amazes me is that God hears his children as they pray to him. But like I said, the catch is according to his will. God is the person to whom we pray. He is the recipient of our prayers. Why is this so important? You might say, Mark, but we know that. No, because there are other religions out there. There are other religions that are kind of linked to Christianity, like Roman Catholicism, that teaches us that we can pray to saints and through saints. And God hears us. There's also the Eastern Orthodox churches that also say we can pray to and through angels and God hears us. Is that true? Who's our mediator? The Lord Jesus Christ. We pray through Him and Him alone. Not through some other saint. Saint Paul, Saint Stephen, Saint Mary, Saint whoever. We pray through Jesus for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Point this out to your friends that tell you you are wrong. Ask them in our Bible to show us. 
why we are wrong. But we have the written word. We can show them in love, in tenderness, why they are wrong. God will not hear your prayers when you pray through any other name. He's told us that, so why should he? Our Heavenly Father loves us so much and because He loves His children and when we pray according to His will, He hears us. What great confidence to know that. Matthew kind of helps us to see God's love. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Reading around, beautiful quote. When believers ask God for anything according to His will, He gives heed to their requests and they receive what they ask of Him. Doesn't, always, doesn't mean you always get what you want or you need. But God hears us. And He gives us. There's one thing you can ask for and God will give it to you. There's one thing that you will know and should know as a Christian. If you ask God of it, He will give it to you. And that is wisdom. James says, when you, in, when you suffer and you lack wisdom, ask God and He will give it to you in abundance without grumbling or complaining. And guess what? You can ask as often as you want for wisdom and God gives it to you. But you know what the catch is? You've got to go to God's Word and read the Gospel and seek that wisdom. Because in Jesus Christ is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It's not going to just drop out the sky. God is not just at our beck and call. We serve an amazing Creator God, an amazing Father, but it's someone we cannot push over. Someone that we can just bully into a corner and think we can demand from Him what we want. John is teaching us here that we can draw near, like, <clears throat> excuse me, like it says in Hebrews, we can draw near to the throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in need. John is telling us we can with confidence know that when we cry to our Father, He hears us as His children, if you have eternal life. And guess who's the great example? Jesus. He's the perfect example of praying according to God's will. Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer, Our Father in heaven, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done. And we see Jesus practicing that in the Garden of Gethsemane when he fell on his face and prayed, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. You might be in a difficult circumstance now and you might be crying out to God, God, please let this circumstance pass from me. Let it, let it move on. Please help me. But not as my will, but as your will. Jesus teaches and models that proper prayer is not that we change God's mind to accept our will, but rather that God changes our minds to accept his. I'll read that quote again. Jesus teaches and models that proper prayer is not that we change God's mind to accept our will, but rather that God changes our minds to accept his. Prayer is the means that God uses to give his people 
what he wants to give us. Not what we want. He knows what to give us. We can pray for anything. But pray according to God's will. And he will hear us. But it doesn't mean he's going to give us what we need at the time. The fact when he says no, he has answered our prayer. The fact when he says yes, he has answered our prayer. I think of Paul who prayed that the thorn in the flesh would be removed. He pleaded with God to remove the thorn in his flesh. God said, no. My grace is sufficient for you. Then you got Solomon asked for wisdom and God said, yes, Solomon, I'm going to give you all the wisdom you need. And on top of that, I'm going to give you riches. Paul said, no. Solomon said, yes. God answered them both. I've prayed for things. I guarantee you've prayed for things. And God has said no. And at other times you've prayed for things and God has said yes. And God says no, he hasn't abandoned us. He just say no because you're not ready for that. Plus I want to teach you. I want to see what's in your heart. I want to test and see what's in your heart. Just like I led the Israelites through the wilderness for 40 years to test, to see what was in their heart. So when trials come our way, remember God is testing to see what is in your heart. What idolatry, what idols are in your heart? Because this letter ends beautifully. Little children, keep yourself from idols. Just a little glimpse there, we'll get to it. Idols dethrone God. Idols take God away from you worshipping Him wholeheartedly. But we'll look at idols more. But God will test us to see what is in our hearts. Especially when He says no. Whether the answer is yes, no, or wait, we must remember we always should ask in faith and according to God's will, believing that we will always receive what is best for us to glorify God. That's what God wants at the end of the day. He wants to be honoured and glorified through our prayers. It's amazing just reading around and it, and it struck me more than what it has in the past. A lot of the times when you think about this, maybe, maybe, it's, not, maybe it's just me, maybe it's you as well, but when you run to God in prayer, how often are we running to God in prayer Ask Him to help us in need. Or ask Him to help us out of the situation. Or we need something from God. We need something and we need Him to help us. So we always run into prayer, asking God to help us. What can we get? Lord, I'm in the situation. Please, can you deliver me from the situation? Help me, whatever. My finances are all upside down. Please, can you provide for me? But do you ever run to God with this in mind? That when we run to God in prayer, we, our first thing in our mind should be fellowship. Communion with God. What a privilege it is to know that we can commune with God. We can have fellowship with God. That we go to God purely because we want to have fellowship with Him. And we want to talk with Him and then we want to share what is on our hearts. He already knows what's on your heart. He can see what's going on in your heart. He knows your, your, your situation. Before you even ask God, He knows what you're going to ask Him. He knows what you need. He knew that 2,000 years ago as well. 
He wants us to have fellowship. We must see prayer as having fellowship with God and not just give me what I need. Because the most important thing about praying and prayer is communion with God and the will of God. It's to get in. That's why in our prayer meetings in the evenings we start with praising God, worshipping God, thanking Him for who He is. For who he is and then we can come and start praying for our needs if it's in the church, in the community, in the country, in the world, etc. If Jesus needed to pray, how much more do we need to pray? Now we come to verses 16 to 17 and it continues with prayer. And John is keeping us in mind with prayer. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask God and God will give him life. To those who commit sin, that does not lead to death. And this is quite tricky. But there is sin that leads to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin. But there is sin that does not lead to death. It's very difficult to to be completely certain about what's going on here. But there is... The teaching is very clear. The teaching is very clear about praying and praying for a brother or sister. Remember, John is writing to Christians. He's writing to brothers and sisters in Christ. So when we see a brother committing sin, not leading to death, we shall ask and God will give him life. We should go to God and, and pray for that person. How often do we talk? Oh, do you know so-and-so? He's not in the church. He's just doing his own thing out there. And Or do you know so-and-so? He's, he's, he's committed adultery. And, and we talk so much, except we should be praying for our brothers and sisters. We should be committing them to the Lord so God can restore them back to, to, to fellowship and, and restore them to, to give them life. And it's, and it's the life that also comes at the end, eternal life. Because verse 17, you must look at verse 17, all wrongdoing is sin. Therefore, we must take sin seriously. All wrongdoing is sin. There's no right sin or okay sin. All sin, all wrongdoing is sin. When Jesus taught, if your right eye causes you to sin, he said, he said, pluck it out. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Jesus is not, Jesus is not telling us to do that literally. He's, he's reminding us, I take sin seriously. You better take sin seriously. I'm serious about sin. And there are consequences for sin. Because the wage of sin is death. And Jesus came into the world and died for sin. Behold, the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. Therefore, how can we as Christians not take sin seriously? How can we still toy-toy with sin and flirt with sin? But John's also writing to us to let us know that, that we do sin. He said that right in the beginning of his letter, chapter 2, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. He knows we're going to sin. He's trying to help us not to sin. But not, just not to confuse things, I'm talking about us Christians, that we're walking with the Lord, we fall into sin. Are we praying for our brothers and sisters that fall into sin 
to God to deliver them out of that sin for life. Again, this whole, this whole message is bringing the church together and praying together for one another. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God, help us as we walk with you in this world. We need to be praying for one another because of sin. Sin is powerful. And when we see a brother or sister committing a sin not leading to death, we should pray for them. If someone is caught up in, in, in some sin. Because that's a sin that does not lead to death. And we should ask God and pray to God that God will give them life to those who commit sins that do not, do not lead to death. That He would restore them back to fellowship, etc. But what about the sin? What does, John mean, what does John mean by saying there is sin that leads to death? I do not say that one should pray for that. But what is the sin that leads to death? Well, do you remember what's happening in this letter? There's false teaching, there's antichrist. These are people that knew God, they knew Jesus, they said they believe, they said they're going to trust and walk in His ways. When he comes to this, he's saying there is sin that leads to death. And in the context of this letter, it's pointing to these false teachers. The sin that marks out the Antichrist. The sin that denies that Jesus is God's incarnate Son. And that salvation is found alone in Him. They deny all of that. They were once sitting here in the church, believing, singing, praising. And some false teachers came in and took away some of them. And now they're out there. Antichrist. Anti-God. Anti-Jesus. It's not an unbeliever. Think of, it's a Christian who was in the church, who thought they were a Christian. Okay, how do we get to know this and understand this better? We can look at Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4 to 6. For it is impossible. Okay, listen to those few words. For it is impossible. In the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God, and the power of the age to come, and they have fallen away. Okay, so there were people that were in the church. They tasted everything. They experienced things. They were enlightened. They, they tasted the heavenly gift. They shared in the Holy Spirit. They shared in the preaching of the Word, reading of the Word. They were there in the congregation. But it is impossible, for it is impossible to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. It can't be the unbeliever. The unbeliever was never professing to know Jesus, was never sitting in a church. The unbeliever that is out there that's never been in the church. These folk have been in the church. These folk have professed to be Christians. These folk were sitting, singing praises until false teaching came in and took them away. John says there is sin that leads to death because we know eventually if they die, they die eternal death. So there's sin that does not lead to death. That's the Christian that is caught up in sin, temptation, and he falls into sin. We can pray that the Lord would restore them back to life and, and, and to a right relationship with Him. Everybody has sins. We should be praying for each other. 
But there is the person that professed to know God, that said he was a Christian, and now he's become an Antichrist. He's caught up in false teaching, and he will tell us who believe that what you believe in is not true. Paul, John says, I do not say that one should pray for that. Well, firstly, he's not saying that we should pray that they go to hell, that they deserve eternal death. He's not saying that we should not pray for them at all. Some commentators say that. I know in, in Jeremiah 11, 14, God said to Jeremiah, Therefore do not pray for this people, or lift up a cry or pray on their behalf, for I will not listen when they call to me in the name of their trouble. And 14.11 says, The Lord said to me, Do not pray for the welfare of this people. Though they fast, I will not hear their cry. And though they offer burnt offering and grain offering, I will not accept them. But I will consume them by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. These are folk that are caught up in apostasy. The folk that were sitting here and now antichrist and out there are false teachers. They're caught up in apostasy. And therefore, don't waste your time praying for them. Pray for them. But don't pray all your prayer to them. Or you could be praying for an unbeliever to be saved. Or you could be praying for a brother or sister that is caught up in some sin to be restored. Because we are told in Hebrews, For it is impossible to restore them again to repentance. But I, don't, I do not want to say to us, do not pray for them. I don't think that's right because we're told in Matthew we must pray for our enemy and they are an enemy to the church. But don't, don't spend 99% praying for them and 1% praying for the, the, the brother and sister that is caught up in sin and you ignore them. Keep them in prayer. Pray that God would restore them back to their senses. But it's also going to be impossible. Because they're now trampling. They know the truth. They've walked away from the truth. So I think we must still pray for them. But maybe there's going to be no confidence, no assurance that God will hear our prayers for such people and give us what we ask. That's another thing we must remember. Praying for people that are caught up in apostasy, antichrist, false teachers. We might not have that confidence that God will restore them. Because God, you know that in Romans chapter 1, God eventually hands those people over to their wicked ways. He just, that's it. He abandons them in one sense. God sometimes just hands them over to their wicked ways and leaves them. Sin is serious. John is making us know that when false teaching comes into the church, it's going to it will cause us to fall into temptation to sin, to walk away from the true living God, to worship another God and become an antichrist to the church. Hopefully this first thing that we looked at in 1 John chapter 5, verses 13 to 17, God hears our prayers. If you have eternal life, God hears our prayers. We need to know that and need to know for sure if we have eternal life, God hears our prayers. He does. If you don't, 
God doesn't hear our prayers. If you're praying to someone else, instead of to God through His Son Jesus, I'm the way and the truth and life. No one comes to the Father but, but through me. In, his, in Jesus' name we are saved and in Jesus' name we pray. It's the only way to our Father. Jesus is our mediator. So I pray that we would be reminded what Jesus accomplished on the cross for us to bring us to His Father, to show us the way to true prayer. Praying to Him with confidence because we have eternal life and we can pray to our Heavenly Father through His name because in His name we have eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank You for this passage. Thank You that we can learn so much from Your Word and, and not take things for granted and, and and maybe we've never read this passage and there's some new things that have come to our mind, things for us to think about. But help us to be men and women that pray. Pray for brothers and sisters that are, that are, that are struggling and committing a sin, not leading to death. Father, have mercy upon us. Please help us to hold fast the confessions of our faith and not to fall away from the gospel in any way, or not to allow someone to arise in our midst and lead us away from the true gospel, Jesus Christ, in whom we have eternal life. Father, help us not to meddle with the gospel. Help us not to distort it, to add to it, or take away from it, but help us just to remain faithful to what scriptures teach us about the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. Help us, Father. Thank you again, those who believe in the name of the Son of God, they may know that they have eternal life. Help us, Father. Please, forgive us. Be merciful to us. Pray and ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.